Welcome to Inhale, Exhale, Elevate. I am Autumn Shelton. Today's guest is Tony Lang. He is an associate editor at Cannabis Business Times, a communications expert and award-winning journalist with more than 10 years of writing and editorial experience in print and digital media. Welcome to Inhale, Exhale, Elevate podcast. I am Autumn Shelton. This is a podcast hosted from our Santa Barbara Coast family cannabis farm to help keep your feet on the ground and your head in the sky. Autumn Brands and our female founders have a message that goes beyond just flowers. Learn about how our two families created a booming cannabis company that is leading the industry towards cleaner and more sustainable cannabis production. We aspire to move beyond strictly cannabis to help plant medicine lose the stoner stigma as we talk about all things holistic health. Welcome, Tony. Hey, hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited for today. Let's just jump right in. Um, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and how you entered the cannabis industry? Yeah, I mean, so it's kind of a multifaceted uh, answer for me. Well, first of all, so I did spend 10 years before joining Cannabis Business Times writing on non-cannabis stuff for a local news newspaper over Northeast Ohio here. Um, long story short, COVID hits. Um, it wasn't looking so good in the print newspaper business, and I was looking for something new. And it just kind of happened by chance that there was a job opening for me at Cannabis Business Times. Um, so really got into the industry at the beginning of 2021 when I started with Cannabis Business Times. Um, the other part of the answer here is basically on my family history. Um, so I was brought up, born in the 80s, raised in the 90s type of kid. And my dad was always about, hey, you're 18, you should be able to drink alcohol and smoke cannabis, basically. Um, he's nice. a Vietnam veteran. And... He arrived in Vietnam when he was 19 years old and basically being over there, a 19 year old at war and being told that he couldn't drink alcohol was kind of what didn't sit, what hasn't sit well for him, you know, for the longest time. Um, and after he got done serving in Vietnam, he actually got busted with cannabis three and a half years into his four year service. Um, on his aircraft carrier, and he got a, a discharge that was other than honorable because of this cannabis. So my dad, yeah, I mean, my dad basically fought in Vietnam when he was 19 years old, just three and a half years, he was six months from, you know, being discharged honorably. And it, this was during uh, the Nixon presidency. So it wasn't a good time to be mm -hmm. found with cannabis, basically. Um, Fortunately for my dad, as years later in the late 1970s, when Jimmy Carter was president, he actually wrote Jimmy Carter um, about the cannabis possession charge on the aircraft carrier, and he got it. He finally got his honorable discharge. So that's incredible. Yeah, I love that. Um, so he's been a longtime advocate of legalization. Um, and Jimmy Carter, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, he, he always thanks Jimmy Cart. Anytime he has anything that's related to like a veteran perk of any sort, 10% off at a store or something like that. It's like, thanks, thanks, Jimmy Carter. So, so yeah, I've just been brought up to believe that, you know, people should be free to, to use cannabis if they're not hurting anybody else. So I love that. That's great. Dad sounds like an interesting man. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> 
Do you remember the first time you smoked cannabis for the first time? And how young were you? Well, I guess I should ask you, are you a user? I would assume so. Yeah, well, not it's that's a that's a whole other story, and I'm happy to get into that too. But not anymore. I'm not. A, but I did. So I do remember my first time. I was a freshman in college in 2005, and basically, I was visiting other friends at their college, and we were driving to a party, and we we wanted to, you know, everyone we smoked up before the party, and it was my first time ever being high, and everyone was getting out of the car to go into the house to the house party, and. Um, I said, I'm good. I'm just going to stay right here. It was the most amazing feeling for me. I'm like, oh my <laughs> God, where's this been my whole life? Right. And literally I just wanted peace and quiet while I was enjoying my first high and didn't want to be around, you know, in a party environment, so to speak. I just like, I'm good. And it was multiple hours before they finally came back at the end of the night and like, oh my God, Tony's still here. And it was just... <laughs> Yeah, it was a wild entry, and from there on out, I just, throughout my college life, I just loved, loved smoking cannabis. But then you decided to take a break, or? Yeah, so I don't, I mean, other than topicals, I don't do anything anymore. Um, Basically, I was using, from morning to night in college, I was smoking cannabis, got involved in other stuff, Oxycontin, and it was just a long, yeah. a long road. And at the end of college, I think I started getting nervous about, you know, entering the real, I was a fifth year senior and I was getting worried about entering the, um, the real world, getting a job and not knowing how to handle myself. I had a great grades. I was a 4.0 student in college. It was just more so like, you know, you can't be showing up to work high on drugs type of thing. Yeah. And so I asked family for help and I haven't used anything, alcohol, um, cannabis, any drugs, tobacco since 2009. Congratulations. Um, yeah, I appreciate easy, it. So task. it's funny because you tell people in the industry that like, I tell people like, oh, you write about cannabis and you don't use it. Like they, they don't understand like how two and two go together, one and one or whatever, two and two go together. But um it's just my personal story and i love the plant i love people's freedom to use it and however they want i just personally don't smoke anymore but you better um believe it that when ohio legalizes knock on wood in november i'm going to be growing at home so (laughs) (laughs) well i think you can certainly appreciate this plant even if you're not a daily user and um, you know, it is truly something that can help so many people in different ways and, but it isn't for everybody. It's a very individual plant. And then if you have, yeah, I mean, if you have, you know, history with other really drugs that are really harmful to our bodies, you know, it's, it can be important to just take everything out um, entirely. So. Right. Yeah. And going off that, like for me, like I never wanted to stop using cannabis I wanted to stop using Oxycontin like, yeah. and for me, it was, there wasn't that choice, you know, and it's like, I, it had to be, it was the all or nothing for me. And that's always been that way with everything I do, I feel like. So, um, I just, everyone's story is different and I, it's, that's who I am. So. So when you did, when you did consume regularly, were you focused on strains or indica, sativas, hybrids, or was it kind of, you know, 
whatever, you know, back then, I think what you could get your hands on kind of from friends and whatnot. Yeah, it was definitely the latter. So yeah, this was 2005 to about 2010. Well, end of 2009, I should say. And it was more so like, you know, you got, you want the $50 bag or the $20 bag. And it's like, whatever's in the $50 bag was what I wanted. And I think I'd, I'd assume if, you know, I was still smoking today, I'd be like an all of the above type smoker where, you know, I'd be basing it on the time of the day. You know, I want this in the morning, this at lunch, this, this at night type of thing. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's very much the latter of, you know, what's, what's good and what's going to get me feeling good at that time. So, and flour was like basically all there was, right? Um, I mean, we didn't have so many choices like we do now. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, for me too, even back then I preferred smoking during the day versus smoking something at night. And, but I didn't know, you know, what that was a sativa or indica. I wasn't looking for it. And today, like, now I know I just want a sativa. I do not want an indica. The indicas just make me grumpy. But I think, I guess I kind of already knew back then, you know, kind of learning what works and what doesn't work. And like I said, it's, everyone is so different and what, what feels good to them and what doesn't. So. Right. For sure. And I, I feel like sativa is a good starting point for people too. Um, it just need like a. I don't know, something to compare, compare, like you don't just walk in and start using cannabis and decide like I'm a hybrids person. You need to have a baseline to compare what you like and what you don't like. Right. So, yeah. So being in the cannabis industry, what excites you the most? Definitely for me personally, it's like the legalization and the policy and reform, um, you know, writing some, I think, Basically, it just showed the whole idea of people getting excited about what needs to happen on both the state level and federal level that, you know, whenever we write a piece in Cannabis Business Times about, say, banking, about rescheduling, about, hey, these 13 states could legalize cannabis in 2023, like people are reading those articles and I'm one of those people like it just excites me to see progress and moving forward, even if that's incremental progress, like a lot of advocacy organizations might have like an all or nothing approach like we need it definitely need to be descheduled altogether. And it's like, yeah, I agree with you. But how do we get there type of thing? And I think people, you know, when it comes to politics, everyone, even if you're on the same side of any issue there's still little nuances that you differ on. And it's just so exciting for, it gets people riled up and that's what gets me riled up too. So um, definitely the the safe banking and, and the, you know, the HHS recommendation to the DEA and what's going to happen Huge. there. Um, Ohio could be the next state to legalize adult use. Um, I think that's one of the, the coolest part about this industry right now, because we're, we're writing history. And every year we're developing new policy and, and trying to figure out how to really dial it in. Um, so it is it is really exciting to be part of it. And I never thought I was terrible at like political science in school. It was nothing I ever was interested in. And, you know, but, you know, I got really involved once I started this company and, um, you know, through the process and now being on the board of CCIA, um, it's fascinating. You should come be a member. 
You would love it. Right. Maybe, maybe <laughs> I will. Yeah. It's funny. Cause like, I just, my going back to my old man, like my dad was so political about everything and like so extreme in his political beliefs all the time. And I actually out of college, um, I worked part my first, first, one of my first jobs out of college, I actually worked on Capitol Hill for a congressman on the other side of the aisle that I agreed with. Because at the time when I got out of college, that party had taken, it was like a shift in part in the majority rule in the U.S. House. And all the job openings were for that party. And so I was like, Dad, I want to work on Capitol Hill, but it's, it's all for, you know, people on the other side of the aisle. And he's like, this is a good opportunity for you to check your beliefs at the door and realize that like, you don't work for you. You're going to work. If you're working for someone else, you got to be able to represent that company, that person. And I was able to do that for a year. And it was an awesome experience just to learn to set my own personal, you, you can have your own personal beliefs, but you got to know when and how to set those aside in certain situations. Right. I so, love that. That's so hard yeah. for, I think, most people that are just so, you know, they, they really believe in something to be able to do that. So that's an incredible opportunity you gave yourself and, and says a lot about your, your ethos for sure, too. Right. And one other thing that really excites me, aside from the politics, is, you know, these features about how cannabis has changed someone's life. I mean, it's just to hear these heartfelt stories, um, for instance, back in... Uh, it's either the end of 2021 or the beginning of 2022. I wrote this feature about this Mississippi boy, the 17 year old. I interviewed his mom and he basically, um, he began experiencing seizures and severe joint pain, chronic nausea, vomiting, and all these symptoms basically that a 17 year old should never have to go through. And this poor kid, like he lost 40 pounds and his mom was telling me she thought her son was dying. He couldn't get out of bed. Um, he ended up being diagnosed with Lyme disease. Um, he was put on 17 pharmaceuticals and nothing worked. And all of a sudden she took him to Colorado, got a medical cannabis and she got her son back. It was like the most, like, it made me cry writing this story because cannabis saved this, this kid's like this mother's son in her eyes, basically. Mississippi, you know, the, one of the last medical holdouts, um, I think their governor signed legislation at the beginning of 2022, finally, for medical cannabis after the Supreme Court had overturned the voters' vote on it, I think, like a year and a half before that. Um, but it's just, it's crazy that this medical value is so, like, prohibited in certain areas of the country still, where people depend on it to have their they're baby boys. They're be able to go and play with their friends and all that stuff. So I just love those types of stories about how cannabis has changed my life type of thing. They're, they warm my heart every single day. And it is, it's part of the reason why I'm, I'm in this industry because there's nothing like it. When you get an email or hear these stories of people, you know, being able to live again, um, or these videos of, you know, people with the nerve, like with a nerve disease or something, it's, it's pretty, mind-blowing and, and as we see every single state start to come on board even medically it's it's a huge opportunity like you said for families alone that don't no longer will have to go and change states from where they live um and that's why it's so important for every state to get on board with cannabis as well right yeah no doubt and even for like 
people that are on their, you know, their deathbed, so to speak, you know, if they can be, you know, their mind can be there for their last days, like by using cannabis instead of some opiates, then that's great. Like gives their family a chance to say goodbye. So. So we just got to spend some time together in Vegas at the cannabis (laughs) conference. Um, Can you tell us about some of the main highlights of the conference? Yeah, so I think, um, well, I mean, one of the main highlights for me was the fact that we were able to actually have a conference this year and provide value um, to our, our, the people who attended the show. And that was through having, in my opinion, the best experts in the industry, such as yourself on our various educational panels. Um, as far as like trends would go for what what kind of developed over the course of those three days at our conference, I think three things stood out. And I don't know if we want to go too in depth with all three, but I think, you know, the, one of the big things was that stood out to me anyways, was just that more so than ever, a lot of the panelists and a lot of the questions towards the panelists were towards paying attention to, to costs and margins, you know, and how that's becoming increasingly critical in the cannabis industry. Yeah. Um, so I think the big question is how to, to cut costs without sacrificing quality which you um, actually ended up speaking on in our in our panel discussion, uh, surviving the market crash. Um, so that was one big one. I don't know if you have anything to, to add there, if you think that's a true statement in terms of Absolutely. People. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, that was a perfect way to end the conference too, just kind of helping, you know, those those in the audience to really understand what it takes to survive this market crash. Cause we are seeing so many farms and so many brands um, disappear left and right, right now. And um, you know, and, and what we've seen definitely is a lot of people trying to build a shiny object from the beginning or not really preparing a long-term um, business plan. You know, some people came in and, you know, 2020 when it was hot and they spent a bunch of money that maybe they shouldn't have. And then others came in and end of 2021, 2022 thinking they could take advantage of, the low prices in the marketplace, not really building a sustainable, you know, business there either. So, um, right. you know, but yeah, overall, and... go ahead. No, you go, go ahead. I was just say overall the conference, you know, I thought was great. It had a lot of different types of spe- speakers and, um, touched on federal legalization as well. And, um, you know, different aspects that are really important. So it's, I think these conferences can be really, really great, um, for those already, in the industry, but also you know, new people trying to come in and, and learn. And that's what's key. Anyone who's new and coming in, it's so important to do your research and really learn from from others that have been right. doing this for a long time. Um, what for sure. And I think people, work. right. And to go off that point, I think people think that all the new people coming into the industries are like in states that have recently legalized. We're like, we had a bunch of people saying, I'm hoping to open up in California or in Colorado and you know, some of our panels were like, um, like Lex, he was like, you want to open up in California right now? Like, hold up. Like, um, <laughs> but I think basically, you know, many experienced growers, you know, used to think they knew all the secrets to success when, like you said, when times were good in 2020 and 2021, but now that like prices have become compressed and profits have, you know, largely disappeared. 
Um, I think growers are starting to realize the the value of sharing their experiences more and more with with other people to to help you know lower those 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 costs and those and the the cost of production and all that stuff where it's like hey what are you doing to face this these compressed prices and it's just less secrecy and more growing together i feel like you no know what well since legalization but even more so in the last couple of years yeah no i agree and i loved i love the the cultivation roundtable concept of bringing cultivators together um to really have you know more of an intimate conversation um around you know what they've experienced i, I think the value of that kind of thing is really getting you know cultivators that have been in it for at least you know like x amount of years um you know even if that was kind of like a you know, an ongoing community that could be built, um, you know, not just in individual states, but across the different states where uh, cultivators could share a little more information together. I think sometimes in, you know, tight knit areas, um, even if they are in a local association, it's hard sometimes to give secrets because you're also true competitors. Um, right, so, yeah. But, you know, when you can kind of branch out with others, um, you know, around the United States or throughout your own state, um, it's really it's really valuable information to kind of work with others and and share concepts of you know what has worked and what hasn't worked and sometimes there's a light bulb that goes on and you're like why did I think of that so right you know I love yeah that. yeah we we were just talking about that as an editorial team at Cannabis Business Times the other day about you know it being our first cannabis cultivation roundtable that we ever hosted and you know how can we dial it in and make it better down the road and how can we grow it and you know really help people who want to be a part of it you know benefit it from the most i think one of the big things that because i actually stopped over and for i was running one of our other workshops during the day but i stopped over and listened to um josh mailman from jushi um talk a little bit i think about um pest and disease control and I think one of the things that really stood out there from that segment of the cultivation roundtable was, you know, I think he said something to the effect is that basically, you know, things like pest and disease control, you know, rem they re it remains a huge challenge for a lot of growers, especially hop latent viroid, as we know, and that this is an area where we should all be sharing information. I think he said, like, if you're holding something close to your vests, then you're doing the entire industry a disservice. Um, so, I mean, just statements like that to help collaborate rather than compete, I think is really valuable. Well, I mean, you know, we're 100% pesticide free, so we don't spray anything. And it, it definitely took us a while to dial that in. But, you know, for us, we learned that by building a perfect ecosystem um, and then really, yeah, finding the right recipe of bugs, um, to combat what the what our natural native ladybugs that come in on their own, you know, don't do, um, has been really key. So I think the you know there's the growers that continue to have an IPM program, um, while sometimes it can save some plants, it also is more detrimental because you're constantly killing the good bugs that you bring in with the pesticides, um, and, and it's hard to really stay on top of it and create like a um, create a regular ecosystem that will continue just to kind of work on itself. So 
Um, I, I'm still a proponent of, you know, hoping that everyone goes pesticide free because it's better for, um, better for everyone, better for the consumer. And, um, we are still strong believers that it's, it's better for the long run in your, in your greenhouses. Yeah. I think consumers, you know, would agree too. So, and the whole, aside from that, the whole idea of, of, releasing good bugs to eat the bad bugs when i first like read an article about that it was just like so like mind-blowing i'm like what you want to put all these bugs in your canvas crops to like (laughs) eat these other bugs like i didn't know like practice like that even existed so there's just so many i don't know so, so much science that goes into what people traditionally have called weed because it's supposed to grow so easily right Mm-hmm. And it doesn't. No, <laughs> it definitely needs a lot of TLC. That's for sure. I mean, it'll grow out there. It just doesn't grow well out there. And that's part of it. Like putting good bugs in and then spraying pesticides on top of the good bugs just kills the bug. And it does stay in the flower or in the plant. Whereas if you use just natural bugs to eat the bad bugs, they actually will throw the, the bad bug off the plant and then it's no longer there. Yeah. So there are, there are definitely benefits. Um, Okay, so what's so regarding the cannabis conference, what should we look for to next year and over the next year? Yeah, I mean, so we're already starting the plan for 2024. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I think we're just looking forward to just another year focused on bringing the highest level of education that we could possibly bring to the industry um, to help plant touching businesses, you know, advance. Um, such a, you know, this year, you know, what was, what was, what were operators really struggling with? And it was like, in our view, it was compressed prices and it was, you know, finding, you know, that whole idea of reducing costs in order to, you know, help your margins. And so we geared a lot of our sessions around that, but we also, you know, want to showcase other other like the science we bring in professors and all that but i think just looking forward we want to showcase you know the existing and emerging technologies that are helping to reduce costs of production and improve operations and crop development in general um so you know from businesses launching all the way to that post-harvest you know success or process so to speak so um, every year it's better, and that's what I'm going to go- tell you right now is 2024 is going to be better than 2023. Love it. So now I know it can be challenging to kind of cater to both newbies and people that have been in the industry for a long time and being able to find something that really does, um, you know, help and encourage both. So um, I've, it's definitely a, a hard task I'm sure you have at hand to, uh, to develop these incredible conferences. Yeah, for it's yeah, no doubt. It's like I like I think I mentioned earlier. Well, we I mean we have participants that come from basically all fifty states, even states that don't have legalization. So it's in several countries who have var- varying degrees of legalization. So it's definitely trying to have something that fits a myriad of of cultivators from experience to newbies to maybe sometime in the future so how can people follow your journey and learn more about the work you're doing in the cannabis industry um 
So for cannabis, for cannabis business times in particular, I mean, the biggest way is to just sign up for our newsletter letters or subscribe to our magazine um, at cannabisbusinesstimes.com. Um, I mean, aside from our website and bringing people the, some of the daily news coverage or the industry features, um, one thing that we pride ourselves on in our magazine is having guest columnists that are experts in the industry, you know, writing best practices, tips for your operations. Um, we have original uh, research in most of our magazine editions that cover things from the state of the industry, the lighting markets, the growing environment, breeding and genetics, um, pest control. And we do those like state of the industry reports and all these different um, segments of the cannabis industry every year. Like, so we'll have a lighting markets um, report that comes out every year. Like, hey, seven years ago, the majority of people were still using H HPL, um, HPS lights, right? And now the majority of people for their flower rooms are using LEDs. Some people are actually using both. It's um, So it's just a way, yeah. I was going to say, so how often do you update your magazine online? And then how often does the, the print version go out? Uh, right. So we, we had for the first months, for the first eight months of 2023, we had um, a magazine go out every month. And it would be basically the digital version of our magazine would be updated on the first of the month. And then we would have it land in your in your mailboxes, the actual hard copy of the magazine midway through the month. Um, we actually combined our September, October issue, um, as well as we're gonna combine our November, December issue for the end of the year here. Um, so October will be out in a couple weeks here, um, but it's all free online. And then anyone in the industry, if you have a license, you can actually get our magazine delivered you know, to your business, so. I get mine constantly. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. And then we're that was great. We're also, right. Yeah, we're also on all the, you know, usual um, social channels except for uh, Instagram. We get we were one of the people who got uh, shut down because oh. appar apparently we're a plant touching business and violating you know federal law by writing about it. So no more Instagram for us. Autumn Brands got shut down too, but we had to just change it, change our name. We couldn't even get the old name back. So we have isn't it, ours has to just have an underscore now, unfortunately. Isn't that crazy? It's like yeah, it's so frustrating. Yeah. Can't wait for yeah the future of just being able to be a normal business one day. But yeah. again, we're writing history, so that part is exciting too. Right. Um, so we have a theme question. We always ask, "How do you elevate daily?" I love this question because. Um, <laughs> I like to try to stay elevated daily and you know, it's a lot of, I, I guess my short answer is I just love being around like-minded people and being able to talk freely about my personal experiences or my own beliefs. Um, and then in return, listen to, you know, what, the, what other people have to say. Um, but when it comes to being around people in general, like no matter if their worldviews are different or, whatever their political beliefs are, like, I just want to try and find out what we as human beings have in common, right? And it's just, it's just a matter of, 
I it really bugs me how some people are like, oh, they're a Democrat, they're a Republican. I can't be friends with them. Like, you should be able to be friends with everybody. You should be able to find common ground on on something in your life, whether it be children, sports, cannabis, and be able to have a conversation where you laugh and have fun and aren't so uptight all the time. And so basically, I just love being around what elevates me, I guess the short answer is being around people who I'm able to relax and laugh with. And if you're too serious, hundred percent of the time, then, then you're not for me basically. Right. <laughs> so, Love it. Positivity all the way. That's what right. life's about. Yeah. Well, this podcast is an extension of autumn brands, which was formed by the passion and knowledge of two families that focus on wellness, balance, and higher self. Our family farm along the coast of Santa Barbara County uses sustainable farming techniques, natural sunlight, and pesticide-free cultivation. You can find our products in dispensaries throughout the state of California, or we can deliver directly to your home in the Santa Barbara area. Go to autumnbrands.com or follow us on Instagram at autumnbrands underscore. Thank you, Tony, so much for being on today. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate you. Thanks so much.